Hey there, friends. Thank you for tuning in today. In this episode, we are honored to welcome a distinguished guest whose journey into the enigmatic realms of UFOs and the paranormal has spanned nearly four decades. Our guest, Preston Dennett, embarked on his exploration in 1986, driven by the profound realization that those closest to him were encountering unexplained phenomena of an extraordinary nature. As a dedicated field investigator for the Mutual UFO Network, Preston has delved into the mysterious and unknown, conducting interviews with hundreds of witnesses and immersing himself in the investigation of a wide array of paranormal occurrences. His extensive research has not only solidified his standing as a respected figure in the UFO community, but has also earned him recognition as a seasoned ghost hunter and paranormal researcher. As an author, Preston Dennett has written more than 30 books and contributed over 100 articles on UFOs and the paranormal. Several of his books have climbed the ranks to become Amazon UFO bestsellers. His words have graced the pages of reputable publications, including Fate, Atlantis Rising, MUFON UFO Journal, Nexus, Paranormal Magazine, UFO Magazine, Mysteries Magazine, Ufologist, Phenomena Magazine and Outer Limits Magazine. Beyond the written word, Preston has taken his insights to the airwaves, making appearances on numerous radio and television programs. As a true educator in the paranormal field, Preston Dennett has shared his knowledge by teaching classes on various subjects related to the unexplained. His lectures have resonated across the United States, enriching audiences with a deeper understanding of the mysterious forces that shape our reality. So let's climb down the rabbit hole and explore the extraordinary and mysterious with a man who faces the unknown head on. Okay, Preston, thank you for joining us today. Nice of you. Um, it's been a while since our last conversation and since then I've been checking out your YouTube channel and I can see how many exciting videos you produce. That's awesome. I am and also many listeners of our podcast are big fans of your fantastic reports about abductions, close encounters and other strange events. And um, at this point, I would like to mention once again that Preston is also the author of many very interesting books. You can find a good overview on his homepage, which I have linked in the description. And um, before we talk about some cases, some very interesting cases, I'm interested in your opinion, uh, Preston, if you don't mind, on the current events related to the UFO slash disclosure story. We have now uh, Mr. David Grush telling us fantastic things about non-human technology, non-human biology. Um, it's uh, kind of like a deja vu because many years ago, a man called Bob Lazar came along and reported some something similar. And this time there's a few men of higher rank behind it, but it feels like we don't know anything for sure, despite all the hints, right? What do you think? 
Yeah. Well, he certainly seems to have a great resume. Um, there's no one who's really challenging that. Uh, of course, he hasn't provided publicly, I should say, any evidence to support his story. But he's saying what Bob Lazar and what hundreds, if not thousands of people at this point, <laughs> have been saying for quite some time. Uh, so I found his testimony really compelling in a lot of ways. I wish he had gotten more time to speak. It seemed like the senators were talking a lot more than the actual witnesses. But the whole hearing went a lot farther than I thought it would, honestly. Uh, I was really surprised to hear the senators say that there is a UFO cover-up. UFOs are real. Pentagon isn't cooperating. Some of us have seen UFOs. That was a, quite a bit more than I expected. And yeah, I found Grush's testimony to be really compelling. Kind of, I'm a little on the fence about it in some ways, because he's talking about how he's getting reprisals and some pushback. And yet we know, I think, if someone were to reveal information that our government didn't want them to, it would be <laughs> game over. They would you know, basically rub them out. I mean, we've seen this. So it feels like it's, I'm guessing here, but I'm wondering if it's sanctioned to a certain degree. If they're like, okay, we want you to come forward and push forth this narrative. And it seemed very controlled, very rehearsed. Uh, but then again, he is a military witness and they are known for being able to be very controlled in their emotions. But really compelling testimony and I think unprecedented in a lot of ways because we really haven't heard anyone talking about crashed UFOs and ET bodies in that high of an official setting. We've talked about sightings, you know, they've talked about various things like that. But so that was absolutely fascinating to watch. And I think a, a step forward for sure. Though I wouldn't call it disclosure. <laughs> This was all talk. This was not our government's officially admitting really anything or providing any kind of evidence whatsoever. It was all talk, no action. Right. I just, you know, I don't trust our governments. I don't think they're ever, ever going to willingly disclose. Cover-up is still in place. Yes, this was movement, which is awesome to see, but not disclosure. Right. I have the same feeling. You said it's to you, it seemed a little bit rehearsed. I think that was the term you used. I had the same feeling, and uh, I remember the first TV interview he did, and it looked. I had a, I had a strange gut feeling while watching it. He was very excited to talk about these things. Um, I had a, a strange uh, gut feeling, to be honest. I'm, I'm not sure what to think about it. I follow it. I'm excited, but not too much. But do you see the similarities to Bob Lazar's story? And what do you think about that? Oh, yeah. You know, I supported, I mean, I, sh I should say I believed Bob Lazar from the beginning. And as the years progressed, I think he's been vindicated over and over again. And while he has been viciously attacked at times, I don't think anyone has effectively been able to debunk his story. And while he was pretty much alone, not entirely. I mean, he wasn't the first whistleblower ever to come forth and say these kinds of things, but he was certainly an early one. And yeah, it was very interesting to see the similarities. 
because uh, you know with Bob Lazar they did do their best to erase his history and he had a real hard time proving who he was and that he worked at Area 51 but he did and since then there's been a bunch of Area 51 you know in Nevada insiders who've come out and said essentially the same thing yes. and I have to tell you some contactees have told me that they believe his story because the craft they were on looked just like the drawings he made. So there's little bits of information here and there that just continue to confirm what Lazar is saying. And yeah, he, you know, when he talks, you can, you know, this is again, purely intuitive. You really get a sense of his honesty. Uh, whereas Grush, yeah, my intuition was like, hmm, <laughs> And I don't want to rely on intuition because I'm really more of a fact-based kind of research. I prefer facts only because you can go right down the rabbit hole speculating. Yeah. Uh, but gosh, it sure is interesting to hear so many people coming forth now and this subject being taken seriously. And to me, that's the best takeaway from all of this. This is a subject that our government is now being forced to admit has validity to it. And this is bringing in crowds of people who are taking a second look at the whole phenomena in general and giving it a whole new level of legitimacy. Have you seen Bob Lazar on Joe Rogan's podcast? I think it was recently. Oh, I don't know if I saw the recent one. I've seen a previous one. I'm not sure how recently you're talking about, but yeah, he did a very compelling interview with Joe Rogan, who is... Not an easy guy. Um, I mean, he's he's he'll ask the hard questions. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little rough on the witnesses, <laughs> uh, which you know you have to play the devil's advocate to a certain extent, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I think Bob Lazar held his own. Yeah, that's true. I'm still not sure what to think about Bob Lazar, but um, I used to tend to, to be honest, to not believe everything he said in the in the past but after grush came out i thought hmm, maybe i should uh rethink but it's little to be gained from you know <laughs> going forth with a story like that you right. know people are going to come at you hard and they did so why would he even bother to do that unless he felt compelled to do the right thing right which is basically what grush said he's like you know people need to know this and that was he said his motive were coming forth. Right. If I remember correctly, you spoke in a podcast with uh, Raymond Shimansky, who worked yes. at the Wright Patterson Air Force Base in Daytona, Ohio in uh, 71, I think. And he said that he was told that there were UFOs and alien bodies there. Um, if you don't mind, can you get a little bit into this story? Yeah, I think anyone who is interested in the UFO subject and researches it will have heard of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, which has basically become really famous because this is where our government studies foreign technology. So if an aircraft, advanced or otherwise, coming from a foreign country, um, comes to their attention, that's where they study it. And apparently this includes... <laughs> extraterrestrial aircraft because if you trace the cases of ufo crash retrievals uh, most famously of course roswell 
it leads directly to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And there is a good number of insiders who claim to have worked there, like uh, Raymond Szymanski, but uh, Judith Crane, I think was her name, who said that she was in there. And it was her job to basically catalog all the little pieces that had come in. And she revealed her story on her deathbed, as a number of whistleblowers have. Uh, so, yeah, I think the testimony coming out is, while anecdotal, uh, with multiple people saying basically the same thing, it lends a level of credibility that's hard to ignore. And Raymond Szymanski talking to him, he's very level-headed, somewhat skeptical, actually. <laughs> I mean, we were arguing over whether or not Roswell had, not arguing, but debating, I should say, whether there was good evidence of actual ET bodies in the Roswell crash, which I think there are enough testimonies to say we have to consider this seriously. But he couldn't find any paper trail or any affidavits or anything that spoke directly to that, but said, yeah, he thinks that there's definitely a possibility that there are bodies, but certainly uh, extraterrestrial technology or hardware and what I found most interesting, speaking with Raymond directly, was that it was very freely and openly discussed among the employees there, which you know are some 10, 20,000 people. I mean, it's a huge base. And he was there as a young man and immediately started hearing accounts from this. So it's like an open conspiracy, an open secret. People are discussing it freely. But of course, it's a very compartmentalized base with many top secret areas that people can't get into. Uh, and yeah, I mean, the more you look at it, at it, I think the evidence is very compelling that we do have these extraterrestrial hardware and it's being reverse engineered or certainly stored and studied primarily at Wright-Patterson, but really in the Air Force bases across the United States and the world, for that matter. But he never actually saw something himself, right? Correct. If, if he didn't say that, he's, he alluded to working on some uh, programs that sort of seem to intimate that they may have come. <laughs> from extraterrestrials, but he never handled anything personally. Uh, wouldn't discuss his level of, you know, secrecy or because, you know, people are given yeah. non-disclosure agreements and yeah. classified levels of secrecy. And he's told me flat out, don't even ask me <laughs> because I can't tell you, which definitely was thought provoking because we know there are so many people out there who can't talk. Uh, because they are basically will lose their job, they will lose their retirement, um, they will be attacked. I mean, it's a big deal to reveal information that you swore under oath and signed agreements not to reveal. Mm -hmm. So most people who have this information aren't talking. The whistleblowers we've seen are just the tip of the iceberg. It's an awesome thought. Uh, 
don't mind me. Please don't mind me uh, sticking to the story for a minute. What was the lady's name? The lady who cataloged all these little pieces you talked about? I believe it was Judith Crane, C-R-A-I-N. You know, I will have to would have to look that up to be sure. But it's a pretty well-known uh, Wright-Patterson story. Uh, that might be the name of the researcher. I don't think so. I think that was the witness. Yeah. But it's one of the more famous accounts coming out of Wright-Patterson. Mm -hmm. But you haven't talked to her, right? No. No, no I haven't. Okay. Um, I think most major researchers have had the opportunity to talk to whistleblowers every now and then. And I certainly have on a couple of occasions. Mm -hmm. Uh, but not her. I did talk to one gentleman who does not want his name used and was in a hospital with a chronic illness and expected to pass away, and he did. Uh, but he told me an amazing story of reverse engineering of extraterrestrial technology, which he found out while working at Edwards Air Force Base. And he wanted to do his part for disclosure. And when he start, mentioned Edwards, my ears immediately pricked up because I had studied Edwards Air Force Base located in Southern California in depth because there's been a number of very high profile UFO encounters there all the way back to 1945, way back then, you know, which is the dawn of the modern age of ufology. Uh, there was a huge wave of sightings over Edwards Air Force Base that many people saw during an early morning daylight which is, you know, pretty unusual for UFOs. Most are at night. But so many people saw it. It was so obviously unexplained that it absolutely, and it was so long-lasting that it changed the way the Air Force was viewing this phenomena. They started taking it much more seriously. J. Allen Hynek was looking into it. And since then, it's been year after year after year of not only sightings, but landings. I mean, astronaut Gordon Cooper was there when a UFO landed, and he saw the film that was taken of it. Of course, Edwards is also the location of the very famous 1954 alleged meeting with President Eisenhower and extraterrestrials. But anyway, I just that's all background for what this gentleman told me, who said that he was a subcontractor, a civilian subcontractor who often worked for the military and was called to Edwards Air Force Base for a job and was walking with his employer across a tarmac by a warehouse with a huge open window and heard this low buzzing noise, turned and looked, and inside of this hangar was a little tiny flying saucer about the size of a sports car, you know, a tiny little uh, vehicle. And he looked at it and it was bright, shiny, silver, chrome-like, no windows, no markings on it, but it was floating off the ground, just a foot or so. And he was astonished to see this thing because it was clearly not normal. And he turns to his employer and says, what's that? And his employer, he said, wide-eyed, turned pale and put his finger up against his lips and shook his head, wouldn't even talk. And, and he kept asking him. And finally, his employer said, shut up. You weren't supposed to see that. Never ask me about it again. And was angry. And that's where it stood for a year or two. Because he did his job, left Edwards. And a year or two later, that same employer called him up and says, I need you. It's an emergency. We 
can't find anyone else. Could you please work back at Edwards for this job? And the guy I interviewed said, no, I'm not doing it. I will do it only under one condition. You tell me what we saw that day. And his employer was mad. And they agreed to meet at a cafe and had had a few beers and got into an argument over it. And finally, the guy said, fine, I will tell you, but you have to promise you will never tell anybody. And he didn't until, of course, he just was about to pass away and felt it was important that people know. And what he said was very brief. His employer told him that what they had seen was not a UFO. But it was reverse engineered from extraterrestrial technology. And this was a craft that had anti-gravity, which was based on a principle of counter-rotating magnets, which created a magnetic field outside the craft, which propelled it in the desired direction. So that was all the information you could get out of him. But still an interesting story. Wow, it is indeed an interesting story. (laughs) Wow. Um, Let's change the topic for a second. Uh, Before we started uh, talking to you, Dustin and I, we stalked your Facebook page again, and we saw that you um, have been to Randlesham Forest. At least that's what it says on your Facebook page. And there's a pretty famous case when it comes to Randlesham Forest. Um, uh, no, no, I've never actually been there. Um, oh. so I'm not sure what you saw because I hope I, I hope I didn't say that because no, I've never been there. No, no, <laughs> it's there's a there's a, a spot on Facebook where you can see where people have been in the in the past. So it says you were in Washington D.C. You have been there and there and there, different places, and uh, the Rendlesham Forest was uh, linked. So that's why we thought you actually have been there. Oh. Maybe you looked at it. No? Okay. No, I've been across the United States, pretty much every state, except Maine. Uh, and I've been in Canada and Mexico, but I've never been to Europe. Uh, I would love to, because I know about the Rendlesham Forest case. And like Roswell, you know, Roswell has 50 books, I'm not kidding, written on that single event. And Rendlesham, you know, initially had one or two, which I bought, and then three or four. And now there's 20 or 30 books on the Rendlesham case alone. So I've certainly followed it. Uh, and it's become increasingly controversial as to what actually happened there. But something clearly did. I mean, there are so many witnesses. Didn't it, didn't it happen like, like two nights in a row? Like they saw something hovering over their military base and then something yeah, landed in the in forest? Row, oh, three yeah. nights. Okay. And so I know. I, I think, yeah. Honestly, more than that, because there's a history in that area of UFO encounters stretching quite a while back and continuing on afterwards. But yeah, um, some really interesting physical evidence in terms of something landing there. They found high levels of radiation. Uh, There was, of course, the very famous audio tape by Colonel Halt, where they went out there and saw it and were talking about it as it happened. and Beams of light coming down and Reports of ETs outside the craft by a few of the people there. Um, I forget his name, Jim Penniston, I believe. It's one of the primary witnesses. Uh, Steve, what's his name? His last name is Warren. Rich- Steve Warren? I forget. His 
he wrote Left at Eastgate along with Peter Robbins and they attacked him and discredited him and now you know he's kind of persona non grata in terms of you know his testimony so I wonder about that because when someone's viciously attacked like that and their reputation attacked it's like why would you do that <laughs> who cares you know if so I wonder if his testimony is real, but they just did not want him to talk about it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know. Yeah, I, I did hear him speak uh, firsthand once. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's what came across on Facebook. Um, Steve Warren, Richard Warren, I can't remember his first name. How did the witnesses describe the beings outside the craft? She talked about. Yeah, typical greys. You know, oh. short little, large heads, bald eyes, white skin, tiny little slit for a mouth, very s small nose. Um, I think jumpsuits. Uh, there are some who feel that this was government as well. And the whole kind of mind control thing going on. I don't know. It's just there's so much to that case. <laughs> that it's very hard to discern the truth of what actually happened. What do you mean when you say mind control? Um, it's pretty clear that there are UFO cases that are not what they seem to be. Mm. And particularly with like my labs, military abductions, where people are reporting very negative encounters with ETs that aren't ETs at all. These are called my labs. And the evidence is growing fast in the number of cases that point towards this not being extraterrestrial contact, but in fact a government program where they use mind control techniques, drugs, psychotronic technology that can create hallucinations, basically, hypnotism, all of every tool at their disposal to fake an ET encounter and make it very, very negative because that is their... Oh. This is their agenda. They're promoting a ET threat narrative, which if you pay attention in the UFO community, there's a lot of talk about an upcoming false flag or a fake alien invasion. And I'm worried about it because the evidence does not support that. I've studied the firsthand onboard cases. And, you know, don't believe me. Look at the accounts of the contactees and you will see that the ET agenda is benign or actually quite positive their agenda is one of healing teaching guiding informing warning uh trying to wake people up it's very clear and our government is trying to counter that and they're doing it quite effectively because a lot of people are quite scared of ufos and there's a lot of fear surrounding this subject an enormous amount of disinformation yeah. And researchers and quote experiencers out there who I think are flat out lying. I really do. I it's a mess. Hmm. It kind of reminds me of the case of uh Robert Taylor in Scotland, 1979. I don't know if you know that case, where he was walking his dogs nearby a forest and uh, he saw an opening in this giant ball with tripod legs and two other balls came out of it with spikes that rolled towards him and it's he said it smelled like burnt tires and when it got close enough he just got knocked out and he just woke up on the ground all scuffled and he came back his wife was all worried like what the hell happened to you and he's like you won't believe what happened and he got the police involved and 
had them investigate the area and they they saw the the ground was disturbed obviously where he said this all occurred um so that could have been maybe reverse engineered because yeah, i wonder about AI it or, you know i don't know it's a very unusual case you know mm -hmm. when there's a case that is completely unique um i kind of put it on the back burner because mm. the best way to determine the truth i think is to get a consensus of cases when you hear so many people describing grays, so many people describing the round rooms on board UFOs with indirect lighting, being physically examined, and ETs saying, you know, have no fear, you won't, won't be harmed. You, you begin to build a sort of idea, a picture of the truth, because the best evidence is the huge number of cases. Uh, it's not just one case that can provide the truth. It's all of them. And his case has some unique elements, but by all accounts, it's a legitimate case. I mean, those there were marks on the ground. Something very unusual happened to him. Yeah, um, I don't know I that it, he actually saw ETs. We can't say for sure. No, there's. I guess his pants were ripped up pretty good by the spikes that came towards him. So again, right. the physical evidence of that. Uh, is pretty yeah, I love it when a case has physical evidence because, mm -hmm. you know, that always, of course. Lent, raises the credibility or when there are outside <laughs> witnesses or medical evidence or animal reactions or electromagnetic effects sure yeah have you heard of the case of uh joe simonton in eagle river wisconsin sure his, uh, <laughs> yeah that's an awesome case um yeah again the physical evidence of that and uh having that being tested and finding out that it was regular buckwheat pancakes but didn't have any trace of salt and everything organic on earth has salt in it because of the ocean so again yeah. these could have been made from out of this world it's exactly just because it has buckwheat in it doesn't mean <laughs> it's it's from earth right because um, you know elements are the same across the universe i think we can yeah. safely assume that atoms and molecules are everywhere <laughs> That's a great case and so unusual. But what I like about it is, yeah, those little crackers or buckwheat things were tested by the FDA and the Air Force, who seemed very, very interested in it. They took the case seriously. And interviews with people who knew Joe Symington, they said he was an absolutely honest and sincere and upstanding person. There were sightings in that area at that time. There was another very famous landing landing on the same day as well. Gosh, I think it was in upstate New York, uh, if I remember correctly. It's another really well-known case. Uh, yeah, the Joe Simonton case is fascinating because yeah. he actually well, I got live, I, I live in Wisconsin, yeah. And I, I actually have a cabin up in Eagle River, so I just love that story so much. So, yeah. Yeah, you can still see pictures of him holding up the little cakes. Yes. <laughs> He's kind of like, yes. here they are. <laughs> yeah, I like how you said it tastes like a piece of cardboard. He's brave enough to bite into one. Jesus. Yeah, can you imagine? <laughs> and the ETs, he, he had a long conversation with them. I mean, he, it's very, very strange. It's a strange yes. case. But and the fact that they're human ETs, they look like Italian men. <laughs> I think a little which skin. comes up quite a bit i've heard that same description from other people i mean personally even uh which mm -hmm. to me has such important implications because people are always talking about grays 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 and in fact you know there's a lot of different humanoids and 
a good number of them are people that look just like us. And what does that mean? I mean, what does that say about human origins? What does that say about our relationship to them? You know, what does that say about us? <laughs> um, there's some really profound implications to, to yeah. all of that. Paula Harris is really into the human ETs. We had an interview with her. She talks about um, Howard Manger and um, you know, Billy Meyer and other other people have the e, the human ET cases. But yeah, fascinating. Yeah, the, the whole era, the 1950 contactee era, is super interesting. Howard Menger and Daniel Fry and George Adamski and all those folks who I think were probably largely genuine, though George Adamski, it's clear that some of his stuff was a little <laughs> over the top. Uh, but his initial meeting at Desert Center in California was witnessed by four other people who saw him walk up to this other gentleman and the flying saucer and none of them have ever um, said he was hoaxing they saw it happen and they never walked back from their story so i think there's some legitimacy to what he saw because he saw ufos in other people's presence photographed them they were there when he was seeing these things and the whole contactee era got kind of viciously debunked by some major researchers well, Maybe debunked is not the right word, but attacked. And it got pushed underground. It never stopped. People were continuing to see human-looking ETs through the 60s, 70s, all the way up to today. But the reports of greys and more fear, the fear-based media, of course, loves a scary, lurid story. But those contactee accounts never went away. It was just got pushed underground. And like Daniel Fry... Uh, a rocket scientist, a good witness. Um, Timothy Good certainly thinks his case is legitimate, as do a number of other researchers. And I tend to agree. I never interviewed him personally, uh, but his story is very much in line with a lot of modern-day contactee accounts. And his uh, footage is very impressive, too, the multiple footages he took. Yeah. Billy Meyer is another case that makes me kind of scratch my head <laughs> because it's clearly legit at, on some level when he's got a crowd of 20 or 30 people around him and there's UFOs flying around and people watched him get taken, watched him go off, you know, disappear, basically. There's landing traces. There's some really good photographs. He got pieces of metal and handed them over to Marcel Vogel, who studied them. And found very unusual properties but some of the photographs are so clearly faked mm -hmm. um, i mean they really are they're proven <laughs> and like that picture he said of who was supposed to be Ascat or sunyazi or turned out to be a game show host <laughs> yeah like, really what are you what are you doing yeah. ah, and, the dinosaur, and, the, and the dinosaur story and and uh, the time travel story with Jesus and, and, and whatnot. And what made me curious is um, that one of uh, Bob Lazar's UFOs he drawn, he drawn looked very similar to one of Billy Myers' UFOs that made me very suspicious back then. So, yeah. yeah I mean, you have to be really careful um, when you're doing this. And I, I, I do feel like there is legitimacy to the Billy Meyer story, but it's just gotten out of control and I don't know what to think of some aspects of it. Yeah. 
No, actually, Paula Harris actually admitted that to me too. Or she feels like Billy Meyer had his experiences in the beginning and it got cut short where he just wanted to continue to have this following and attention and have this little cult gathering almost. And that's where the fake pictures start to come in and other, <laughs> but the fact that there is some base facts that the shit did happen, especially when, when he was in India when he had like other 20, 30 people with him, he'd be like, look at that shit. He's in the newspaper too. He had like 80 photographs at the time. Yeah. I've got like six or seven books, you know, the Wendell Stevens books on his case yeah. and all the contact notes. <laughs> it's yeah. really interesting. It is. Um, um, do you have you heard of Annie Jacobson, Preston? Yes. Yeah, I have not spoken with her, but uh, I would love to hear a talk between you and her. <laughs> I, would really, I would really, you should really uh, talk to her. I think that would be an interesting talk. But I, I'm sure you're familiar with her Area 51. Let's call it alternative story uh, about the whole Stalin thing and um, how. Um, Area 51 was uh, staged and the UFO thing was staged um, Stalin uh, planned let's say a PSYOP and this uh, craft were, in reality was uh, some kind of uh, stealth fighter and inside were um, some young people from Russia who were surgically changed yeah. somehow. Uh, it's a very bizarre story have you heard of it? I have, you know, and I think uh, Nick Redfern wrote about this uh, in one of his books. Um, it's an interesting theory. I'm not so sure um, how, I, I mean, I didn't find the evidence for that particularly compelling, that the bodies people saw were surgically altered Russian <laughs> children. Uh, mm, that seems quite a stretch, a real leap. Uh, I don't know. I'm skeptical. I'm skeptical by nature. Um, it's funny because I came into this field as a complete skeptic, found out it was real. It absolutely knocked me over. And I had to reassess everything. And in a weird way, although I'm sure UFOs are real, having seen them myself and interviewed so many people, I'm even more skeptical because I was lied to for so long. And our governments are lying. And there's misinformation and disinformation that's very clever. So I'm really skeptical of all these accounts unless I can. I mean, there's there's such a big difference, a wide gap between belief and personal knowledge. Until you know from personal knowledge that you've seen with your own eyes, you don't know. You can believe what you want. So I just don't know <laughs> about that. Uh I think something happened at Roswell. It's my belief it was an extraterrestrial craft. Uh, I think there's enough cases like it that fit right along that. I don't think it was Russian children. Uh, <laughs> that's certainly not what the witnesses were describing when they saw them. Uh, but I think it's important to entertain each theory, at least, and put it forth and look at its strengths and weaknesses and see if does this account for all the evidence, whether it's eyewitness testimony or what have you. Because eyewitness testimony is evidence, allowable in a court of law, and can put someone into prison for life. So people say, you know, it's not evidence. Well, yeah, it is. The found science is based on anecdotal observation. It really is. 
you can't just throw out eyewitness evidence because the person doesn't have a photograph or a piece of metal or an actual body. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of wild stories. I mean, people have every explanation in the book for the UFO phenomena from time travelers to interdimensional beings to demons to an, an intelligence that wears different masks and masquerades as various supernatural um, beings. Uh, and of course, extraterrestrials, which I think is the theory that by far, I don't even like to call it a theory. I think it's pretty well established. And in fact, if if these UFO crash retrievals are true, and I think they are because there's so many of them, uh, all bets are off. Our government knows what this is. They've got the craft and bodies. This is extraterrestrial. Maybe not everything that people are seeing, but I think it's pretty clear that our government is in possession of ET bodies and ET craft, and they know what this is. It's not Russian children. It's extraterrestrials, people like us, biological beings from other planets, or humanoid in nature, but just a little bit different from us. Not that different. I mean, there's eyes, nose, mouth, head, arms, and so forth. So, and this is exactly what so many contactees have been told that we're not that far removed from each other. We share a common heritage. So I find it fascinating. It's a fascinating subject and so many avenues to explore and levels and levels to it. You, just when you think you got a grasp on things, <laughs> along comes another case and you're like, oh gosh, what does this mean? You know what I mean? It raises all kinds of questions. We talked about uh, human-like ETs before, and you said we, you said we have to, yeah, you said we maybe have to question our origin. And what is your personal opinion on that? Or let's say you talk to a lot of people, you talk to a lot of witnesses. Are there reports that gives us a hint on that topic? Oh yeah. After talking to literally hundreds of people and kind of comparing their stories, I think we can say with good certainty that we did not evolve here on this planet. And more recently, I interviewed a lady by the name of Dolly Safran, who turned out to be a really good witness for a number of reasons. She's super intelligent. She's a former nurse, works for the Department of Defense, and is what I would call a fully conscious contactee. And by that, I mean, she doesn't need hypnosis to recall her encounters, uh, doesn't have fear, so she's not looking at it through the lens of fear, which distorts your perception. She's fully conscious and has been since age 14, and has had very extensive encounters. And yeah, the ETs told her basically what other contactees were told, who I've interviewed, that we did not originate from Earth. And at one point, we actually lived on Mars, which I found super fascinating <laughs> to hear that so many people saying that. She also mentioned that the ET's home world is in the Orion system. I thought, wow, here we go again, because that is another thing I've heard before. She was able to really bring home a lot of the information that I was questioning. Like, are these craft themselves living beings? Because so many people have told me that. And she's like, oh, well, yeah, in fact, they are. They're embodied. They are partly biological. 
the craft themselves are alive, as we would think of it, embodied. That was fascinating to hear. She also described how these craft are flown psychically because they taught her how to fly these craft. I mean, she became a UFO pilot, which sounds incredible, but I've interviewed other people who said this. And she really filled out all those blanks, answered all those questions I had. In fact, Grant Cameron, who you may have heard of, a Canadian researcher, just put out a book called Sky Pilots, where he interviewed some 40 or 50 people who were taught by the ETs how to fly the craft. And it's all done psychically, which is so interesting because when you talk about crash retrievals and the government going into these UFOs and not finding any controls or engines or really, you know, it's almost nothing is in there. And Dolly explained, you know, what the ETs told her and what she observed herself firsthand. That these craft are embodied and you hook up with it and it's flown psychically and their technology is largely psychically connected. Or I'm not sure what the right word would be, but psychically driven or based might be the best or most accurate term. Uh, so, yeah, <laughs> there's still a lot to learn about this, but I, th I think we are making huge progress in understanding uh, what's going on and that our relationship to them is much closer than we imagine. Uh, they look upon us as brothers, sisters, as, you know, children, friends, uh, and that we do share a common heritage. I like the idea that the crafts themselves are maybe living beings, as you as you mentioned. Um, in the other podcast project, I discussed uh, the idea that aliens might come in the form of liquid AI. Um, in some some kind of way, they are um, they are integrated in the in the in the craft, and they don't have to get out. They don't have to. Um, have a physical body. I, I like the idea. Maybe some kind of liquid aliens, liquid AI. That's interesting. Since um, we talked to Professor Avilop not too long ago, and he said um, possible uh, alien civilizations that uh, travel the interstellar space might come in the form of a post-biological some kind of being um, because it's very it's the ideal form they don't need to care about uh, oxygen or 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 bacteria virus it's it's right. AI well, we are, form we we ourselves are you know in the third dimension we're embodying these third dimensional flesh and bone bodies but our true selves are interdimensional we come from the other side we have a soul um, which resides in the higher dimensions. And from what I can tell, you know, what Dolly Saffron has told me is these craft are embodied by fifth dimensional entities who have left the physical body behind in terms of, you know, existence. They can come down and embody a craft, which is, you know, interdimensional in and of itself. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so I'm not sure I would use the term liquid, but certainly they are able to, to, transcend dimensions in a way that would make that term 
you know, in some ways accurate. <laughs> uh, and these craft themselves are so incredibly advanced. People wonder, you know, how advanced are these guys from us? Is it thousands, hundreds of years, thousands, millions? It's closer to billions, according to Dolly Saffron. That's what they told her. Billions. So, yeah. And these craft can do things. They can change their appearance. Um, it might You might see it as 20 feet big on the outside and go inside. And it's huge. They're transcending time that. and space. I heard about a case like that. Like a, uh, some whistleblower was saying that they witnessed somebody going into a craft and it was only in there for five minutes or less and said that they were in there for like four hours. <laughs> or no, it's the other way around. The person was in there for two minutes, came out, and the guy said, you were in there for like four hours. Yeah, yeah there again, was a very famous case in Brazil. Guys. The time and space... Yeah, it could be bent in these uh, in these ships too. One guy went in, was in there for a few minutes, came out. He had a three or four day growth of beard. <laughs> yeah, or like Tra or Travis Walton. You know, he came out with right. a the full. Well, well Dolly Saffron talks about that. They take her up. She does her thing. She's there for two hours sometimes, but a couple of times, weeks, or more than a couple of times, or even up to a month, comes back and in only minutes have passed. They, yeah. And I've got other cases like this. They will pull, you know, it took me a long time to sort of try to get a handle on this. And I still don't fully understand it. <laughs> but they're pulling you out of the time stream. Time is not what we think it is. I mean, we experience it as a sequential series of events that we can easily measure. But the ETs have the ability to pull you out of that time stream and do whatever they want to do in another dimension where you're still experiencing a much longer length of time. And then coming back, and minutes have passed. Hmm. That's amazing. a lot of cases like that. Since you talked to a lot of people and heard a lot of thousand reports, thousands of reports from people that actually that, that claim they have actually talked to aliens, do we have an explanation of what mm, the missing time phenomena and the Oz factor and stuff like that, of what it actually is and how it's created? Yeah, well, let's start with the Oz factor, which was coined by Jenny Randalls, which is super interesting and always made me wonder because when someone suddenly looks up and there's a UFO, or even before they see it, it's as if this eerie cone of silence envelops the area. And they won't hear the crickets, the bugs, the traffic, the wind. Um, in fact, you could be on a busy street. And I've talked to people who've had this exact experience. One lady I interviewed was on La Cienega Drive in Los Angeles, which is never empty. <laughs> She's nine months pregnant, about to have her baby, sees this orb drop down the size of a grapefruit and circling her car. And she looks around and there's no traffic. This is impossible. This can't happen. And I always wondered about this because there's case after case like this where there should be traffic there. Uh, and people are describing how it's absolutely silent, too. So I'm thinking, gosh, you know what is going on here? Did they divert the traffic? And that was kind of my theory for a while. And I've talked to Dolly Saffron. I keep bringing her up because she's become my go-to gal for a lot of this. And she explained it in, more lucidly and in more detail than I've heard anyone else. And basically what's happening is you're in that same area, but you're pulled out of that dimension the third dimension to a degree 
so the traffic is still there it's just that you in essence have been pulled out of it and this is when people might feel per paralysis um it's not that they're actually paralyzed it's just that they're being pulled out of the time stream and all the traffic is still there and everything's still going on it's just now that they're experiencing a whole experience in what we would call a number of seconds of course it's not a number of seconds when you're pulled out and you're actually experiencing it it's how long it, it might be like travis walton's five days uh well i mean that's different he was missing for five days <laughs> he was apparently injured and they had to nurse him back to health that's his theory uh, but yeah, there's so many cases like this. And I think that is what's going on with the Oz factor is that it's there's an interdimensional aspect to some of these encounters. And it's really interesting when people describe their encounter ending. Because like that lady on La Cienega Boulevard said, as soon as this orb went straight up, she said it was as if she just all the traffic just suddenly filled in. And it didn't like suddenly come racing up to her. It was there instantly. Another guy from West Virginia described the same thing. He was in his front yard. There was a light that was malfunctioning and traffic was backed up on his street. And as this UFO came swooping down, the traffic was suddenly gone. And as it left, it was suddenly there. So it's not like it's being diverted or anything. It's you who is being pulled out. So that's the odds factor, I think. And now I've forgotten the second part of your question. <laughs> I, I forgot too. It doesn't matter. But do we are there hints about how it's is it is it created by actual technology or is it some let's say I don't know metaphysical thing that happens? Um, I would say it's both because the ET technology is psychically based, and they have this incredible understanding of the electromagnetic spectrum that absolutely surpasses our own in every single way the things they can do with light are absolutely amazing because we what we use light for is what you know vis visually illuminating things um, we're learning how to you know use lasers to heal perhaps or burn or even levitate ets have been doing this for a very long time they can uh do just about anything with light all the healing cases seem to be involving the use of light in some capacity. And this is, they're pulling people on board inside a beam of light um, and communicating and pulling people through solid objects like walls or ceilings. So I think that's what we're looking at. It's use of the electromagnetic spectrum in ways that we are only beginning to understand. It's kind of funny what you said about the light. It kind of reminds me of E.T. with his finger. <laughs> yeah. It's funny That's because amazing. some of the healing cases, the E.T.s are not using tools necessarily. They're mm -hmm. using hands-on healing. And yeah. I've looked into this. We ourselves have these abilities. There, you know, I wrote a book on human levitation, which sounds crazy, but it's been proven in a laboratory setting. It's in every culture, almost without exception, across our planet reaching back thousands of years. We have the ability to levitate. We really do. It's very well documented. And there is a good number of cases where people who are levitating are emitting visible light out of their bodies. 
So people see ETs, you know, coming through the wall, glowing, levitating, healing, doing all these things, which we think is technology. And in some capacity it is, but it's also psychic as well, or unnatural ability that all entities have. There was a medium, Carmine Mirabelli in Brazil, who was studied by scientists and demonstrated levitation and walked through the wall, went right through the wall. Uh, and there are other cases of that. <laughs> and I found that so fascinating because so many people describe this with ETs. They're like, it came right through the wall. And I'm like, yeah, they can do that. And it's not necessarily technology that's allowing them to do this. I think it's both, honestly. I still have a lot of questions about this. Uh, so, you know, that's what's neat about the UFO field and the, this subject, is it really challenges us to think outside of the box. We can learn so much from them. I wish more scientists would take this seriously. For example, the medical community should really pay attention to these healing accounts because ETs are curing people of cancer and AIDS and diphtheria and diabetes and jaundice and kidney stones and you name it. We could learn a lot just from that. And I think you're right. Uh, we also have these abilities. Uh, thinking about uh, Reiki, for example, people doing uh, doing Reiki and and uh, I had a Reiki session, and at the time I had. Uh, big problems with my left hip and <laughs> I was laying on the table and this guy uh, running around me with his hands above me and doing his hocus pocus and I was like what is he doing man with this crazy music in the background and everything and he was he was he was acting really weird and I didn't believe in it but when he was done he said is your uh, do you have problems with your hip and I said yeah you're right with my problems with my left hip But it wasn't bad problems. I was I was walking normal, so he couldn't see it beforehand that I had problems with my hip. It wasn't too bad, so I, like I said, I could walk normally. And he said, uh, "I think your your left hip needs some uh, improvement." And oh, wow. it, it didn't uh, heal it. <laughs> it didn't heal it, but um, he saw it or felt it. He sensed that something is wrong. He couldn't do anything about it, but sensed it. Interesting. That a few contactees do what I would call Reiki or hands-on healing. And it's so interesting. One, she's like, would you like me to run energy through you? I have this ability, but I need your permission. I'm like, of course. She had me take off my shoes and she put her hands on my feet and pulsed energy up through them. And it felt like a mild electric shock. It felt like water running up my legs. I mean, it actually, you could physically feel it. So that was really cool. Another time, a lady who had had a major encounter, she stopped being an actor. She was cured of psoriasis on her arm and became a healer, a massage therapist. She's like, would you like a session? I said, sure. And so I lay down on her table and she's doing her Reiki movements. And like you, I'm like, hmm, okay. Because <laughs> there were the candles, of course, and the incense and the soft angelic music i'm like well you know it's pleasant certainly but as she's doing this i started to see green and pink pastel light that looked like it was coming out of her hands i'm kind of blinking my eyes and looking at it because i couldn't wasn't super obvious 
But after I kept seeing it, I finally mentioned something. I'm like, gosh, you know, it almost looks like there's light coming out of your hands. And she kind of smiled and said, oh, you see it. Not everyone can see that. And she's like, what color? I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's it's this pastel kind of pink and greens and very pastel-like colors. And she's like, yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing. One lady I interviewed, she was a telephone operator. Pat Brown was her name. Really neat lady. <laughs> Uh, she ended up quitting her job to become a healer and she says she's doing these healings and she's very effective at it she has testimonials from people who she's helped she says that she's doing it blue light comes out of her hands and she can see the grays you know she's in contact with grays and they're up there in their ship and she says it looks like they're doing fiddling dials or whatever to try to facilitate the healings and connect with her to do this and some people have reported seeing blue light come out of her hands. Uh, so that's not uncommon. A lot of contactees come away from their experiences with a whole bunch of abilities, healing one of them, but levitation, clairvoyance, mediumship, astral projection, remote viewing, uh, channeling, you name it, uh, all kinds of natural abilities, not supernatural they're not paranormal. It's, the laws of the universe are not being broken. We just don't understand it. That's, I think, why we call it paranormal. It's a misnomer. But these are absolutely normal human abilities. And this is one of the biggest ET missions is to wake us up to all of this. Telepathy, for example. Just think how much the world would change <laughs> if we could read each other's minds and be telepathic and know when someone's lying and all the politicians who are so corrupt and lying and full of greed would not be elected anymore because we could spot you a mile away. <laughs> That's what we really need to do is come together. The ETs have said it over and over again that love is the answer. That's what Wazga, Betty Andreessen's main gray contactee said. He told her, love is the answer for humankind. He said, everything you need to know, you can learn from nature. Um, really wonderful statements that are so true. And I know, I'm an optimist. I'm a bit of an optimist, but I really think it could make a huge difference if we would just treat each other with compassion and love and allow truth to guide our actions. You know, and think for ourselves critically, not believe the lying governments who we've become essentially enslaved to. I don't trust them. I've said it at the beginning. I'm going to say it again because I don't think they have our best interests in mind. I think they're greed-driven, power-driven, money-driven. And I'm very concerned about it. Agreed. And that would be a great quote to end the show, but can't let you off the hook right now. <laughs> I would like to round up this episode with, um, if you don't mind, of course, a little story um, out of your last video, I think it was the last video you uploaded, some interesting cases. And if you don't mind, uh, give us one of these stories. I, I'd like to hear the story about the crouching alien, if you remember. Um, I do. Yeah, that involves a, a little boy from, gosh, Kansas, I think it was, or thereabouts, the Midwest. John Jacob Swaim was his name. 
and he's out disking the farm for his family. He's on the tractor, and that's his chore. It's the end of the day, and he's plowing the field, the uh, wheat field. And he thought he saw somebody peering over one of the terraces in their field. And he stops the tractor, and he's looking at him, and whoever it is ducks down and runs to the next terrace over. So he gets off of the tractor and goes running up to where he last saw this short little guy. And the guy jumps up and is looking right at him all crouched. And it's not a human. It's a three foot, four foot tall, short little humanoid wearing a jumpsuit with a human looking face, but not normal by any means. And was quite taken aback to, to see this little kid had run up and was now looking at him pretty much face to face. And so he turns around and makes a beeline towards a, a distant point, just a couple hundred yards away. And this is when John Jacob saw that there was this landed craft in the field. And this little guy runs quickly in a matter of seconds. He says, the witness says, you know, he didn't actually run, he flew. <laughs> and later evidence will be found that confirmed that. but. This little guy goes into the craft, which takes off straight up. And John Jacob goes running home. He's like, Dad, Mom. He has a little brother, too. They're not going to believe what I saw. And they're like, oh, really? Sure. And he's like, no, no, no. And they could tell, you know, by his attitude that he was telling the truth. He's not, you know, someone given to telling tall tales. They called the police. The police came over. They all walked out into the field. And sure enough, they found footprints where he said he'd first seen this little guy, just little tiny, almost round footprints. But then they walked over to where they'd seen the craft. And sure enough, there was crushed ground and about a hundred little footprints all around the craft, but none in between from where he had seen it pop up and fly across to down in the field. So it's a pretty well verified case. He also told the story to his reverend who absolutely believed him. And the reverend turned out to be a UFO researcher as well, which I thought was interesting in that he was able to, you know, combine his religious faith with the idea that there are people on other worlds. But it's a fascinating case with in what I would call landing trace evidence. And while it is a single witness case, by all accounts, it's totally legitimate. His little brother backed him up and was talking to reporters he's like, oh, yeah, he's telling the truth, but I'm mad because he always gets to see everything and I never get to see anything, <laughs> which I thought was cute. But uh, yeah, really interesting case of a UFO landing and a humanoid, very close up confrontation and just fascinating details. So many people see these little three foot tall humanoids, which are not your typical grays. There's just a huge variety of humanoids, but almost always without exception, humanoids, which is so interesting to me. It must be the universal template because it's almost without exception. That's what people are reporting. Yes, that's true. A universal template. That's a great uh, way to put it. Um, I was about to end the show, but um, <laughs> when you when you talked about this case, I um, another case came to my mind, and I want to know your want to hear your opinion on that. It's the Virginia case. It's a very very interesting case because there was uh, many witnesses, and um, 
I think the most impressive uh, story came from these three girls that I've seen. I I remember that because your story says the crouching alien. This and they saw these girls saw a crouching alien on this wall in this uh, I don't know in this sideway. Um, that was a very very interesting case, a spectacular case, so to speak. Uh, they they they, they re there were reports of these this ugly smell came from these aliens and um uh, these uh, i don't know these these strange plates on the head and the description were very detailed too um very very interesting case what's your opinion on on this case yeah i'm a little on the fence about it honestly so there are some details i kind of wonder about it's a very unusual et i've never heard one described quite that way uh there's a lot of witnesses, I will say, but I don't know, because I haven't talked to them. Um, I haven't really researched that case in a way that I would like to, to really come to any solid conclusions. Certainly fascinating. And I wonder about it. I did see the interviews with those uh, th three ladies, two, two of them, three, no, it was three of them. Yeah. And they seemed absolutely sincere. They saw something. But I, I wonder... What they saw was, you know, could it have been staged in some way? Because there's that those recent uh, that recent case in Peru, the ETs that were attacking people. That I don't, no, no, no. I think that is probably my lab or disinformation or a setup of some kind because it's just off the charts. It is um, yeah. not like well, anything I've heard. Right. Well, back about with that case, I think that was two aliens i think they found another one dead or, or was dying and one guy actually physically held this thing and brought it to the hospital and they're like no you gotta get this thing out of here and it's the smell it. and then this guy ended up dying days afterwards because of this maybe radiation or whatever uh gel or something happened. was on this alien <laughs> yeah i don't know something it's, very it's very strange happened mm -hmm. and i think we're still public that's the kind of cases that's going to keep on giving <laughs> because we haven't heard the last of it it's like roswell there's what we hear is just the tip of the iceberg of a lot of these cases particularly yeah. if it involves a crashed ufo and bodies uh, because the vast majority of the information is covered up ruthlessly at times uh so i really wonder what's the whole story behind that case in particular sure. and i wish i could speak with it on more authority but i just know what other people have read in the media yeah. it was like and isn't it like another guy too with the roswell case where he there's like a chunk of metal that he brought home with him and he threw it in a well and his hands got like crazy oh. arthritis and like just like no yeah, that's deformed. the aurora texas case 1870 yeah. or thereabouts where mm -hmm. a ufo crashed and they threw some of the debris into this well and the whole family got arthritis really bad Hopefully, mm -hmm. they buried him in the graveyard in aurora texas and that was moved or taken or covered up or it's a very early one of the earliest modern day accounts of a ufo mm -hmm. crash sure clearly something happened because it's very well known to the people yeah. who live there and the relatives Does, of the people the cause the causing the effect like touching something and then physically getting sick or having your body you know get deformed from it what about the brutal smell have you heard accounts of of, of like that before 
with the Virginia case? No. Yeah. No. No, I've heard people oh. describing the smell of UFOs, you know, they do have an odor inside and ETs too, which, you know, Willie Strieber talked about it. He said they smelled kind of like cinnamon or burnt cardboard. A couple of witnesses use the same term, woodsy. They have a, a subtle tire. body odor. Yeah. So yeah, there's, you know, I, I did a whole video on that and the study of that. I wrote about it in one of my Not From Here volumes. I've got four That's volumes cool. of putting out a fifth. The smell of UFOs, which I thought was super interesting because it basically broke down into two categories, what I would call electrical odors like ozone or metallic odors, which really speak to the fact that these are machines of technology uh, and not something that's a spiritual phenomena. Right. But also like when people are taken on board a craft, they're smelling organic odors. And they often use terms like, well, it smelled like a locker room or a little bit cheesy or yeah. stuffy or, you know, this sort of organic odors, which speaks to these ETs being, again, not a psychological or spiritual phenomenon, but absolutely organic, a, sure. a body that gives off odor much in the same way we do. Hmm. So I think there's some important takeaways and that's an aspect to UFO encounters that deserves more study, for sure. Yeah. Man, it's so interesting. There's so many things to discuss and to explore. Thank you so much for being our guest today, Preston. It was awesome. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Dustin. Yeah. It's a lot of fun discussing this subject. It's so important. It I is. I look forward to the day that this is taken seriously, where the ridicule and disbelief goes by the wayside and disclosure happens. Like I said, I don't think our governments will ever willingly do it. But I also feel like it's inevitable because you can't hide the sky. Truth is truth. Mm -hmm. You can distort it. You can hide it. You can cover it up. But you can't We all have cell it. phones, too. So we can be there. <laughs> right? UFO <laughs> hunters ourselves. So. The day yeah. is coming where, where this cannot be hidden any longer. And I don't know if it's going to take 10 years or one year or a hundred, but sooner or later, the truth is the truth. Uh, there's just no way you can run away from it because it is what it is. Agreed. Please stay with us for two more minutes, okay? You got it. <laughs>